Bible to Romans chapter 12, and welcome one and all. So thankful that you're here. As has been said, we are starting a new series called Antenna. With so much in the world fighting for our attention and resources, we thought this idea of raising up some kind of a stream to pull in to better hear the Word of God and to better hear His will, that there would be something significant about that. Okay, let's back up a second. The truth is, no one plans and strategizes a strategic and extravagant rescue plan like the Father. No one. When hope is gone, when faith is lost, when love is dead, God the Father comes bursting forth with deliverance. And, and, and taking a bird's eye view of history, specifically God's heart toward humanity in history, just really makes this an eye-popping moment. Go back with me again. When sin was first committed in the beginning involving the forbidden fruit, God would supply proper clothing to replace our... <laughs> fig leaf efforts to cover up our shame. Animal skins were provided through the sacrifice of shed blood and life. God's heart for humanity was clear from the beginning. No price was too great for the betterment of his children. In other words, nothing is too much for his kids. The clothes made for a temporary physical covering but sin always leaves a much deeper problem underneath the skin, doesn't it? That's the real pain. That's the real struggle is what happens inside when we sin. Fur and leather can cover a naked body, but what's to cover an exposed soul, huh? What remedy is to be found for a sickness that's internal, the sin-sick soul? And from the start, the answer was set in motion long ago. From the paraphrase, Ephesians 1. You guys have to eyeball this. Look at the screens. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago. He decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. It's in Christ that we find out who we are, and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. We all were. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper 
and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Now, what you have just heard is the gospel in a nutshell. It's the good news of God's rescue plan for rebellious, disobedient people. So this series is an attempt to raise an antenna to find an answer to the question, what are we to do with a merciful God like what we've just read about? What's a reasonable response to that kind of mercy? Now, this is directly answered in his written word. That's why I had you open to this passage. And, and what we're going to see in these Sundays through June are specific ways, attitudes, actions, thoughts that we can have in moving to say, okay, this is how we want to respond to you, God, in your imminent mercy. What's a reasonable response to that? Now, here we are. Let's look at the first verse of this. The second verse is going to be dealt with next week along with the two weeks that follow. But today, just verse 1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In view of that kind of mercy, the kind of rescue plan that we just again thought about and read, offering ourselves as living sacrifices would only be what's true and proper. God's mercy to us leads us to live sacrificially for him, a living sacrifice. Now, this phrase, living sacrifice, for the people that were first reading this or hearing it back when it was written nearly 2,000 years ago, it would have been a bit of an oxymoron because, you see, animal sacrifices were in full swing in that day. Everyone hearing and receiving would have already had a very clear mental image of lifeblood being drained, of a carcass being placed on a large altar and burned. The smells, the sights, the sounds, very, very real living sacrifice. You see, how... Is there any life associated with sacrifice? This was a call to sacrifice our will to someone else's will. This was a call to sacrifice our conformity to the world around us to another one's conformity. This was a sacrifice for a complete and new mind renewal. This was not an offering of sacrifice in physical death, but instead a perpetual sacrifice of worship to God and service to others. Richard Strauss helps us see this from God's point of view. He wrote this as though God said it. Look what he wrote. He says, God says, I want to take control of it, your body, and use it as an instrument for accomplishing my purposes. 
I want your eyes to absorb my word. I want your mouth to speak my praise. I want your hands to help others in need. I want your brain to lay plans that glorify me. We offer our bodies to God for his use. Whatever, whenever, however, wherever, all of those questions are left up to him. That's why we have a need for an antenna. So we can hear. So you can hear who he wants you to marry. And you can hear how many kids he wants you to have. I'm not, not trying to make anything there that I shouldn't. So you can hear where he wants you to live. The career he wants you to pursue. So you can hear who your neighbors are around you. Knowing them. You have your play, ever played the game of shame? Not knowing the neighbors to your left and your right and across the street? Yeah. Guilty. He wants to determine all of that. But unless we've got an antenna out and he's leading us, then so many opportunities will be missed. That antenna is to be found. People have found it. We can find it. David Livingston found it, the great missionary to Africa. Look what he said. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice, which is simply paying back a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity and consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope and glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice, say rather, it is a privilege. Isn't that the same sentiment that you get at the end of this first verse that we read? Some of your Bibles will translate this. I love the way the Amplified does it. Look what it says. Be, uh, to present to your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship in your nivs you'll actually have a footnote down there and for the word spiritual this is your spiritual act of worship it will say a good word to replace the word spiritual is the word reasonable this is a reasonable in other words what kind of response do we give to a god with that kind of mercy well a living sacrifice would only be a reasonable expression of a life of worship you want to raise the antenna above the noise of the world? Start with tuning your life into seeing what you can do for God and others, not, not into looking into what God and others can do for you. Y'all, worship was never meant to be about what we can get out of it, but rather what we can offer. And that is only reasonable in light of His mercy. In Ernest Gordon's true ancient, true account of life in a World War II Japanese prison camp in a book that he wrote called Through the Valley of the Kwai, there's a story that shows the power of a living sacrifice. It's about a person who transformed a whole POW camp. His name was Angus McGillivray. He's a Scottish prisoner one of the prison camps, a camp that was filled with not just people from Scotland, but also Americans and Australians and Brits. The camp had become an ugly dog-eat-dog -dog situation where stealing and cheating was just the way of life 
survival was everything and the law of the jungle prevailed until the news of Angus McGillivray's death things just kind of went that way survival of the fittest no one could believe big Angus had died he was strong no one expected him not to make it through this BOW experience in fact it wasn't his death that struck them that really struck them most with shock. What it was, was the reason for his death. Let me back up. The Scottish soldiers took their buddy system very seriously. They believed it was literally up to them to make sure that their buddy survived. It's something that they did in their armed forces. They would just link up wherever they were with one other person and they would really look out for that other person. Angus' buddy was dying and everyone had given up on him except Angus. Angus made up his mind that his friend wasn't going to die. Someone had stolen a blanket from Angus' friend. Angus ended up giving him his blanket. His friend said, where'd you get this? He said, oh, I came across an extra one. At mealtime, Angus would take his rations and force his friend to eat them. His friend said, where are you getting this extra food? Angus said, well, I was just able to find some extra. Angus chose to do everything he could to make sure that his buddy would get what he needed to get better. But as his friend got better, Angus began to decline and fell until finally he would collapse and he would slump over in death. The doctors discovered that he had died from starvation and complications through sheer exhaustion. Well, that news spread through the camp. The news spread that he had given his own food and shelter his acts of living sacrificially started to make an impact on the compound. If you remember Jesus one time said, greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their life for their friends. At the explanation of Angus' death, the men began to talk about that among themselves. They began to focus more on one another. They actually began to find out that each other had different specific talents. One was a violin maker, another was an orchestra leader, another was a cabinet maker, another was a professor, among many different areas of expertise. After a while, the camp had their own orchestra full of their own handmade instruments. They had erected a called-out group of believers. The church was actually called church without walls it was so powerful and compelling that even the Japanese guards began attending the worship gatherings in time men began a university a hospital a library this is a good book the POW camp was transformed all because one man named Angus, Angus McGilvery sacrificed Lit while he was alive to make sure that his friend would make it. Would you say that this is a reasonable response to God's immense mercy to each of us? When we sink deeply into God's sea of mercy, doesn't leaning into Him and living sacrificially make sense? Is it Oh, man, I gotta, I gotta go to church. Is it, oh, man, I need to go figure out my neighbor needs something. Oh, I 
I got to give that person a call to see how I can pray. Is it really that? Is, is living the Christian life a, a trudgery in light of what he's done? Or is it just a transformation where we say, oh man, I get to go help. Father, we are in a culture that is so self-sufficient and so self-serving that we don't even know how selfish we really are. Change us into your likeness. Make us a giving people. Make us into living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand as we sing this song.